Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Taylor, joined by Josh Brown. Oh, hello, Scott. Oh, hello, and Benjamin Richardson. Hello, good morning. <laughs> and good afternoon, and good evening, and good night. We um, have all three of us finished Final Fantasy VII. I'm 100 hours in, finally got the platinum. Kill me. Um, it is worth it, probably. Um, and we're just going to dive into a, a full-on spoiler cast, because many people have asked us to do one. Um, the ending is patently ridiculous. We haven't talked about it that much in real life, because we haven't been around each other in real life. Um, so I'm just going to open with that. Um, full spoilers, obviously, for the game, so be aware. Um, Josh, where did you come down on the ending multiple timeline insanity? My lord, like, I've been trying to pass this thing out for a week because I kind of feel like um, Charlie from It's Always Sunny, you know, when he's got, like, the board <laughs> and connecting the conspiracies and stuff. Coming out of the end, I didn't even, I didn't know what was going on, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's a, necessarily a bad thing. It was just the moment when I realised that the game isn't really for me, if that makes sense. It kind Ooh. of is, but it isn't. Because up until the very end, up until the final hour or so of the game, like, the game doesn't necessarily rely on you knowing the original game. There are a few ca- character cameos that only really resonate if you have played the original. But for the most part, the story, it, it gives you everything you need to know. But then when it hits you with that final sort of twist with Fate and Destiny and Sephiroth and stuff, like, it trades on your knowledge of knowing who characters like Zaka yeah. is. Because obviously, you know, I don't know who that is outside of lists I've done and talking to you guys and stuff like right. that. So there was still a lot of those beats that hit for me. And I love it conceptually, but as a story contained within a single game, I don't I don't think it's anywhere near as good as it could be. But mm-hmm. the questions it raises and the things it does to the original um, narrative, I do like a lot. And I am really excited to see where it goes from here. But I don't know whether that's going to be the case for two long-time Final Fantasy VII fans. Mm-hmm. See, that's, that's really interesting that you say that, Josh, because I think the ending is a way of them being able to go forwards and create a game that isn't just for Final Fantasy VII fans. I think that mm-hmm. specifically is the idea. Well, it, it, this is why it's so confusing to me, because I do think you're right, but the way they do it at first makes you at least 
trades on some knowledge of you knowing what happened originally. Like for me, this story would have been great had that final cutscene and that final boss thing come about 20 hours into a 40 hour story. It being at the end of game mm. one leaves so many doors open and raises so many questions for someone who doesn't know the story that I wonder if they'd be willing to come back for part two, if that makes well, sense. Let's drill down on this stuff. What are the things that made, what specifically did you feel like you didn't know? Because they, they do want you to be asking questions going forward. And if you look at where Midgar ends in the original one, you do have a bunch of questions. And I even something like Zack with the black hair, like you see fragments of him before you know exactly what his full role suppose, is. Like, you know, I, I think the, they want you to ask questions. The difference is that when you're playing the original game, you don't know that it's trying to remake an old game. So you those, those mysteries are acceptable and you expect the game to, to explain them later on. Whereas yeah. if you're coming to this, as Josh says, you just assume, well, this is some assumed knowledge that I don't have, so now yeah. I'm no longer on board. Particularly with the Zack thing, you're quite right. Like, that's teased in the first game long before you actually find out who he is. You read about notes to do with him, you see little sort of flashbacks Eric mentions him. And that's all, that's, that's, it's basically the exact same mystery that Josh is going through now, only he's assuming that... Like he has to know that to understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, all the stuff that you like, even in the moment where you were like, "Oh God, this this is making me feel like I'm missing out on something." What was the stuff that made you feel that? Uh, there was quite a lot because there were a few beats that sort of half hit, kind of tangentially and vaguely knowing what happened in the original that I wish I could have experienced fully, like the Zach mm. thing when I saw that he, um, you know, didn't like die when I saw that Biggs was alive. I think those moments only really are effective if you know what happens to those characters originally like what mm-hmm. seeing bigs if devoid of context in this um like uh, in this remake being alive it's kind of like that's cool but obviously it only holds real importance of the kind of whole universe ramifications if you know what the original is and it's not i want to be clear like i don't have a problem with them leaving mysteries open for the next game my issue is that this very much feels like part one because very few character arcs or very few narrative arcs are resolved here like you look at something that's established as a series like the mcu or lord of the rings or something mm-hmm. all of those individual entries are part of a larger series but each individual installment has its own sort of beginning and end. It's still self-contained in a way that it answers enough to make it a satisfying piece of the puzzle. Whereas mm-hmm. this, I thought, was the exact opposite. All of the mysteries were tantalizing, don't get me wrong. What happened to all the characters, what the ending means, it's all interesting stuff. But it makes me more excited about part two than it does make me feel like I was satisfied by part one because I've already uninstalled the game. I I want to I want to know what oh, happens next. I'm not oh, carry on. experiencing this as it is because it does feel like like I said, part one of a bigger hole. And I I think that's fine, but I don't it's, know. It's sort of like going home from the theater at the end of Act One and then yes. coming back two years yeah. later for Act Two. It is exactly that. You're right. It doesn't the, the, the Midgar arc itself isn't necessarily con- concluded well, particularly as, you you know, you storm a Shinra HQ and, and, and the president's dead and then you take on Rufus, but then he's not eliminated, he's still there. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like that section is complete. Uh, the other thing, Josh, um, there's one big spoiler about Final Fantasy VII, which I'm pretty sure everybody in the world knows by now. Uh, one of the, the, the largest storyline beats to do with a main character who might or might not have an unfortunate incident involving a very long sword, um, yes, yes. I think a big part of this ending was trying to suggest that that could change. And I think even non-Final Fantasy VII fans would understand that. Did you? Did that resonate with you at all? 
Yeah, that was that was the thing that when Scott started saying, you know, something big happens at the end that changes Final Fantasy forever. Because I don't know when that happens in the original story, that moment, I, I wondered playing through it whether they'd moved it up or whether they weren't going to do it at all. So that was always at the back of my mind because even though, like, even though I haven't played the original, the original is so entrenched in gaming culture as a whole that stuff like what we're skirting around right now is kind of, in a lot of ways... Podcast. Well, yeah, but it's not a spoiler yeah. for this game, is it? Really? In a way, <laughs> we're going to have to get into the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess. All right. Okay. Hmm. I guess. I don't know. We'll, I'm not really. We'll, we'll, okay. We'll we'll keep even though that's like the big pop culture twist. We'll keep yeah. it specific to a Final Fantasy VII remake spoiler cast. There's a, there's a screenshot of that on the back of the Final Fantasy VII box. Right. It was in the trailers back in the day. It was like, oh, a, a love that can never be. And it's like, literally shows that scene. So whatever. <laughs> but yeah, we keep it specific to the Final Fantasy VII remake. Yes. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, it's an interesting point though, man, because uh, like Jim Sterling did a recent video on spoiler culture in general in Final Fantasy VII. And it was really, really spawn because for as big of a moment in gaming history, that is, there are still going to be loads of people playing this game who have no prior knowledge of that. Like mm-hmm. if, you, if you were born, if you're like, what, a teenager now, you might not know that that's a thing because you know for as much as we care about old stuff a lot of young people don't care about old stuff and like (laughs) that knowledge as time goes on just kind of it gets sort of weaker and weaker in cultural circles wouldn't you say like the cultural impact of this particular moment isn't it like the equivalent of saying Mufasa dies or Juliet drinks the poison you know it's like a thing that you have to know surely yeah, well, that's the thing. You would you'd assume Ben, but yeah, I, it's like no one's going to Romeo and Juliet expecting. Oh, maybe she'll maybe we'll make it. It's a tragedy. People know that. Hey, if you if Tetsuya just... Nomura was directing it, it would be this, <laughs> a series of flashbacks and flash forwards. Um, we should yeah. talk about because um, that's it. Yeah, they they very much set up this idea of multiple timelines, and you know, you fight uh, Whisper Harbinger and Viridi Rubrum and Krakeo, the the three little mini uh, demon things. If you scan them with assessed materia, it says that they are entities born from a different timeline, from a different destiny. Um, and they come about when someone messes with time. That someone is obviously Sephiroth. And a whole bunch of- mm. yes. Do you think this timeline um, bending is going to continue, or did you think this is the way of just getting that out of the way now? I think it. I don't know. I I think that I, I think they needed a way to to try and have their cake and eat it. They needed some way to separate the remake from the original. And I honestly love what they've done. I love that they find a way to set the remake off in its own direction. And it, it's it for me. It freed up a lot of the stuff that I really didn't like going through it the first time. Um, in terms of assuming that this remake was replacing the original by separating it off and fracturing reality and time, it allows the original to just stay as this great, you know, totemic, amazing thing and now we can go forward with crazy timey-wimey whatever the hell we want it to be in the remake um, and I like that they're separate so I think that this is their bridge point and I assume they won't do more um, but it does directly factor into the stuff with um, you know with multiple characters and the little teasers that they have the flash forwards and stuff because I think they're literally saying look all of this is now on the table and that unifies returning fans and newcomers because none of us know what's going to happen yeah, yeah but I, I would have... sorry Josh come I was going to say, I want to ask like you guys, because obviously for me, the ending with all of that timey-wimey stuff and, you know, defying destiny, that felt very disconnected from the Shinra plot. So I wonder whether, mm. because that doesn't really, to my knowledge anyway, that doesn't really interact much with what Shinra's doing or what the eco-terrorists were doing and stuff, whether that 
plot from the original Final Fantasy is still going to go ahead warped by the changes that are made, but that allows them to redo the general through line of the original game while adding way more diversions well, and alterations and subversions on top of that. Yeah, all the uh, all the like cross-dimensional stuff, all that is obviously brand new. This the second that like they rip a rip a hole in space and time and walk through it, that's all brand new stuff. The main thrust of the original game is about Shinra, Hojo, the experiments, Sephiroth and Aerith and who their parents are, and they're both you know, like descended from these scientists and stuff like that. And they're both like battling for the planet. And it's like I still th- so think they'll go forward with that. But if you believe the theories, which I do, um, check the remake explained video. Um, Sephiroth and Aerith are the only two characters that have full knowledge of what's went before. Like remake is pretty much a sequel, um, and I think they like going forward. They'll be the ones trying to alter destiny's course um but i don't know like if you're tetsuya nomura and the creative uh, team how much do you deviate from what is supposed to be the final fantasy 7 remake or was this one just called final fantasy 7 remake because it's the only one that's going to be close to those story events and next one it'll be final fantasy 7 remake colon whatever the hell we could think of um i, I just i guess like benji what, what do you think as a returning uh, like a veteran fan do you think they should try and go stick to the main um, beats or should they do something else well, i think they should it's basically because that's what people want to play and, and the whole the whole point here is that they, as you say they're trying to have a cake and eat it too so mm. if you want to retain the fandom as having just told them that they're all wrong and they should shut up and stop asking for things to say the same. Just to very quickly clarify, that's that's not something they said in real life. That's an interpretation of the Yes, game. yes. Well, I mean, like yeah. I said to you, the phantoms are it, it's a we're very close to fandom and you kill them and tell them to go away. And <laughs> it's, I don't think it's a coincidence, but uh, just on this ending, I, I'll say I, I thought it was very interesting and I didn't dislike it in any way. It didn't anger me. I don't care. I'm beyond the point of caring about something. Like this, I uh, all your you texts know, from when you were fighting that final boss. I was angry at, at dying, but I wasn't angry at what happened because I think it's interesting. I think it's a chance to see uh, these characters reinterpreted in, in, in a new way, some new scenarios. Oh, I'm excited to find out what happens next. I think it's less genius and more disingenuous. Like I said, they've sold the game on the basis of being a remake and then delivered something slightly different. And I also mm. felt that, like, the very last chapter, the as soon as you go through the portal on the bridge, it did feel as though a page out of Kingdom Hearts 3, the script had accidentally been shuffled in the Final <laughs> Fantasy VII remake. It was like, it was completely discordant with everything that had came before and the bits that had came slightly afterwards. And it was almost just a way of effectively saying, right, well, a contrivance to say, right, okay, let's get this thing out of the way done now so we can have a blank slate going forward, you know. But mm. I don't think I don't think it was necessary to create a tabula rasa in such a way. They could have just changed it without excusing it and said, well, just accept it's different. If you enjoy it, fair enough. Mm. Instead, they've made this really divisive finish. But I think it's going to put quite a lot of people off because they're going to go into the second game thinking, well, it might be absolutely nothing to do with what I want. The thing that makes me... Actually, I was going to ask you, Josh, when did you realise or get the feeling that they were straying from the canon? Like, obviously, you hadn't played the original, so when did it set in that they were deviating so much? Is it just because it was so tonally jarring going through time and space? Yeah, I mean, that was, like, the big sort of clue that everything had just gone completely wacky, and this probably (laughs) wasn't in the original. Um, But also, like, kind of... I do think it was well teased throughout with the introduction of, like, the Phantoms and stuff, because I didn't know if they were in the original or if they weren't. And I always thought every time they appeared uh it resulted in some really cool interesting moments that i didn't kind of expect and i love mm-hmm. i love just in general narratives that sort of clash against kind of destiny and pre-destination uh, stuff like that where you have a kind of set fate and then the characters kind of destroy that or go off mm-hmm. path and then something's kind of new and exciting it was, and, um, and fresh 
There was a bit of misdirection there as well because I think the phantoms are tried to conflate them with the chaps, we do the chaps in the robes. In it. Yes, the whispers, sorry. But do you think yes. they tried to conflate those with the, uh, the, 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 I want, well, I can't really say, but the Sephiroth men in the robes tried to make you feel like they were one in the same thing? For, for me personally, at first, I thought, oh, well, it's just, they've just reinterpreted those characters same. and it's not going to mean anything. But then I think at one point, I can't remember it was, I think it's when Cloud first had his flashback of Twigs. Mm -hmm. I can see what's going to happen here, and mm -hmm. it turned out that was the case, and I didn't mind. Oh, dude, I, I had no idea what was going on with those men in robes. I, I have absolutely no idea <laughs> Actually, I was say, right, any of the right, Sephiroth stuff. Genuinely. Right now, do you? we'll talk about Sephiroth in a bit, but right now, what do you think those dudes with the numbers on their arms are? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Because um, um, I think... It's got to be linked with like the experiments that Shinra have been doing, like underground and stuff. Yes, no, 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 maybe. no, 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 no. All but the soldiers, because it's, 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 I don't know. I'm just shouting things out. It's a question, a by the way. Just, just, just this is a tangent. Now, do you remember we have to all go through that five-hour-long dungeon that Hojo's drum back just made us all want to kill ourselves? Yep, yeah, yeah. So they have this huge facility in Shinra HQ. It's like it's just about 900 floors full of enemies <laughs> and test, testing apparatus and laboratories and things like that. So why do they also have an underground lab? In the swans. <laughs> well, you know, no, no, they do. They flesh that out in terms of that they're experimenting with different things that come from different parts of Midgar. So I guess because of oh, based on God. where they're, they're located, it's got a pretty well established transportation network. I'm sure they could get some like transport. You can't transport a, a behemoth on, a, yeah, <laughs> on the back of a train. Um, yeah, one of the um, things I was going to pivot into is like Sephiroth. I guess just in general, like Josh, what are your thoughts on Sephiroth? Because I was trying to, <clears throat> when I was going through it first time when I'm being critical about it, I I really don't like the way they handle Sephiroth in this at all. And I like I don't I think they lose a lot of his most iconic scenes and um, or they redo them in a much worse way. Um I just want to see what you think of Sephiroth being that like he has this assumption of I they even said before release, like you know, everybody knows about Cloud and Sephiroth, so we're just gonna just lead with him. He's not gonna be a mystery, we're not gonna build up to him. Whereas in the original game, he's not even in Midgar. Um, and the only thing you see is his sword sticking out the back of the back of the um Shinra president, which I always thought was a better way to do it. But what was but your thoughts what was on Sephiroth? Wait, wait. I feel very weird about this because, um, like, for the most of the game, I thought he was doing really well, and then I logged online and realized that everyone thought I was wrong about that tech because when he first turns up and he's kind of mysterious and he's haunting Cloud and there's a weird connection between the two, it, it is in part thanks to the great soundtrack because every time he appeared, mm. I felt like he was properly intimidating and imposing and felt grand and threatening and, and big and evil. And I wanted to know how he filtered into the plot. I didn't think we would see him in the flesh in this um, part of the game. But then when he turns up towards the end, all of that for me was kind of undone because I, I didn't understand who he was or his role in the narrative. And then when he becomes up, then he, when he turns up at the end, it becomes like an active agent in it. And he is killing, you know, like the president and stuff. And he's, he's ripping a hole in time and space. That felt to me so disconnected from the main thrust of the narrative that came before that while it was cool to look at and it still did feel grand, I was so deeply confused about why this happened, when it happened and how it happened, when it happened. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think we actually did see Sephiroth. I don't think that was a physical okay. manifestation at the end. I think it, 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 it was just the Deus Ex Machina, Maybe literally a god from above just parachuting in, <laughs> basically for the sake of playing one-winged angel. But well, also... They they have that scene where they, um, when he's climbing on the top of the the big tower on top of Shinra HQ, and then Cloud looks yeah, again how... and it's actually the clone guy. Yeah. And you, you have the, the, the pointless shoehorn battle with Sephiroth. 
does he just run off like a fanny? Is that what's happened there? Or... <laughs> well, they go to the edge of creation after he gets defeated. I, I just so... got the impression it was a, it was a like, 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 it's like a, an interpretation of Sephiroth that you were fighting, not the actual man, mm-hmm. which would, it, that's commensurate with a lot of things that we saw in the original game. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I mean, the for me, if you go along with the whole, uh, there's, there's so much evidence that this is the Sephiroth from the original game and from Advent Children. Um, there's just so much stuff, like whether you look at the um, the the way that Rubrum, Krakeo, and Verity fight the final uh, forms, the way that they fight lines up with the animations that the um, Kadaj and the other kids have in Advent Children, and the idea that Harbinger is actually Sephiroth, yada, yada, whatever. Um, if you go with that stuff, then it means that he his willpower is the thing keeping him alive, which is what was in the supplementary <laughs> materials for Advent Children. It, 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 like, also, you know. it also means lots of people have to watch Advent Children. Oh, well, maybe that's got all this all along, is to bolster the sales of Advent Children. And eventually we'll get a Spirits Within sequel, we'll have to go back to that. But um, I guess in terms of uh, another thing as well, actually, uh, next to Sephiroth, is Josh, what do you think or know about Genova? Um, I don't know anything. So I thought about, they did a really bad that. job of. I mean, you don't get Genova details until again after Midgar. It's it's all it's part of the Sephiroth reveal. So I guess they want you to ask questions. It kind of makes that quite a lot of sorry, quite a lot of those details are hidden in side quests as well. Mm, like, mm-hmm. They're not front. But I mean, even at the end, when like the 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 scene, Josh, you'll know the scene at the end of the seven remake when um you go to fight. It's when you're going to go to the rooftops, and um Sephiroth has taken Genova's head or taken Genova in general, um and there's all that goop, there's all that alien goop all over the floor, and it's all quite like kind of haunted and mysterious and whatever's going on. That scene in the original is all blood, um and it it leads to the same fight, um but it's it's the whole thing where Sephiroth has butchered all the different um people that are living inside the Shinra Tower, working in the Shinra Tower, and that leads to the sword on the back of the president and everything like that. So they try and have that same scene, but I don't, I don't know, for me, I, in the remake, I don't think that they do enough to tease what Genova actually is. Um, I don't even think they include it in the um, the flashback bit when you get to see that augmented reality presentation where you see all about the history of the planet. Like, as far as I know, Genova's not in the remake hardly at all, apart from, like, two I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm, completely, I'm completely lost at the moment, to be honest. I don't, <laughs> the only, I don't the know only, what any of this stuff is. Literally, Josh, the only clue you would have, having played that game, I'm not going to reveal it, obviously, but the only clue that you could know what Genova is is, is if you have a, a strong Roman Catholic or Hebrew background and you can take any interpretation from <laughs> Because there's absolutely nothing else there. It's what Genova actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I suppose it shouldn't be, but then you need to question why on earth am I fighting this as a boss? Well, and especially when you you spend so much time in that final drum area as well, like which is at the center of it is Genova, but then does, you never does, find out. Does anything. just remind me? Does Sephiroth refer to Genova as his mother at all? Uh, as he pre in, in the original at this stage. I don't. I don't think so. I think they're keeping that for the flashbacks. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah. the first time you fought Genova in the original was on a boat, wasn't it? Uh, when you go to the Costa del Sol, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think no, just no, no, no. Uh, no, you fight the um, you fight the at the very top of Shinra Tower. Um, that whole thing where, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you fight like a part of it there. That's um, right, yeah. yeah, there's like more for them to tease, but yeah, I mean, this kind of answers the question as to like it's weird because Josh, do you find it satisfying that you don't know, or does it just seem <laughs> like they just undercooked it? Oh, in, in, it's infuriating. Like, and how how much is left open or assumes your knowledge? Like, it's mm-hmm. it's totally fine. I can totally accept that. This might not be, you know, for me, that's okay. But mm. I, the the assumption of knowledge there, it's it's in in part kind of a little well, bit insulting, just because I feel like, sorry, I just no, feel like they can't tell 
a story, if that makes sense. It, I can't get away with this feeling like just part of a of a whole. And it was mm-hmm. a really enjoyable part of a whole. But narratively, man, like I just don't think the arc's there. And that's why I've uninstalled it because I can't see myself going back to play it mm-hmm. in its entirety because those, well, those threads aren't wrapped up satisfying. No, totally. The, the thing that I think they've gone for is if you literally took the original game's Midgar and where the story is at, at that point and just cleaved it and said, well, how much do you know at this point? How many things are we teasing? You get exactly that amount um, in terms of like Sephiroth is suddenly an entity at the very end of Midgar, Genova is suddenly a thing. What the hell's going on? End. Um, and, you know, that's why they left the remake. But obviously, like you said, it, it doesn't feel satisfying. But I, I, I think the thing that... Oh, so I was just going to say, there's, there's another good reason as well for some of the teasers, and it, it's just pure fan service. Yes. Like, well, I know it's... Josh was confused when he saw the cat in the crown. Oh, oh, the cat in the crown, man. Like, what? What? I, what? To someone, like, being invested in that moment, like, literally the, the plates just fell, hundreds of thousands <laughs> of people have just died. Here's a small cat with a little crown on. That, to be honest, I did pop for, and went, yeah, oh, that's, that's catchy. Good. Why there? And also, me and you, Benji, and all the people who know what that is, why that doesn't even make any sense as it to makes why. No sense. No, he, 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 the, the thing, the entity, uh, cats, whatever's behind it could have a better way of knowing what's happened. After yes, and, and that, <laughs> let's just say, wouldn't be reacting in that way, let's say. Um, and so, yeah, that it, stuff it, is kind of ridiculous. In, in, in the, in the arse to react in that way. <laughs> A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. It just didn't make any sense. I had a lesser problem with um, Red 13 in a similar way where I knew he was an iconic character because everyone's like, oh, he's so good. But to Mm. me, he was just like, 
quite an interesting dog, and that's fine. Like, oh. it was cool in combat. I know, but it, the game, the game, this game gave me no reason to properly care about him other than that he's an experiment, and he's called Red 13, and he looks really cool. Again, it was it was the the, the feeling like I was missing out on something, and I know how much you love him, mm. and you talked about him before launch, and I knew he was coming at some point, and I knew he wasn't <laughs> going to be playable, but it was just that feeling of trying to disconnect what I kind of know, the fragments of knowledge I have from just working in this industry and being friends with you two, mm-hmm. com- like clashing up against the fact that, or, or what the game gives me, you know, and clashing mm-hmm. up against the the few tidbits and the few pieces of information that are actually in the story itself, this version. That's, oh yeah, that, that's 100% totally valid. Like the stuff with Red, I think I love just seeing uh, his and Barrett's interactions. I think every time they have a little little moment, he does a little high five with his tail, or like when he makes him smile in the back of the van and stuff, it's tiny little things, but obviously it is bolstered by a lifetime of fandom. Um, like you said, it's like he is just like this kind of mildly more interesting dog. And then it's like, well, I don't know, like in that scene as well, because you get to hang out with him in uh, Hojo's drum thing, you're just waiting for him to pull levers really slowly and it just and that whole thing you know it's just you so crap at it as well he's so crap so <laughs> slow and you can you can throw him over even if there's not a lever and you have to wait for him to go oh no there's no lever and then he comes back and it's like oh what a waste of my time in a in a in a, in a section that's already wasting your time so much i know what you mean it's that that whole bit was the bit that i mentioned in the review is the one time they injected some padding that i fundamentally like really didn't like i just kind of went oh god not now like you're literally breaking the the pace that you've established like it made no sense at all and every character is well i guess we have to do this side mission thing i guess we have to do it because hojo's got us trapped or whatever and it's like i guess we have to test all the shinra machinery it was just like what are you doing that stuff kind of stood out to me but um yeah i mean we should talk about um we talk about sephiroth and, and general stuff going forward but josh are you still excited about the sequel the fact that you deleted it straight away it's <laughs> shocking to me yeah, it's it's like I go back to what I said before, where I'm more excited about what they do next than I necessarily mm. am about this game. Not that I think this this game's a whole write-off, because I love especially the characters that were established here. Like all of them, I've managed to fall in love with even by the end. Even you know people like Barrett, who I didn't think I was going to enjoy mm. first. I even even Chadley. Why do you like Chadley? Oh, it was like Chadley. Chadley. Exactly. He's the little, the little <laughs> VR man who gives you a VR headset and he uh, gives you the material. Yeah, is my boy. Chadley kept go. popping up with new VR missions for me to do, and I thought, you legend. I don't know how you're getting around all of this. I tell you what, ah, as well, you guys, nice. you guys will not know uh, the full extent of Mr. Chadley because uh, you'll not finish the VR stuff. And once you've finished all the VR stuff on hard, you get a little reveal about him, and he's not Ooh, what you think, which that is, is interesting. But spoiler another thing, they just leave out yeah. the game, then yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's there if you want to get it. If you, you know, don't delete it and ting. But it depends. Um, no, but yeah, no, is, he, is he is he a heartless? Well, do you guys want to know? I'll, <laughs> I'll just tell you. Yeah, you yeah tell me. Delete it anyway. Um, he's an android at the end of it. Uh, um, he's a he's a I am combat android developed by Hojo to uh, go out and test um, various soldiers and stuff. And it does it does feel like there's quite a lot of stuff from other games in this game. Kingdom Hearts final boss, you've got your Zeno, Zeno Gear, Zeno Saga, Android, mm-hmm. you've got I mean the dog was in the original one, but there's no explanation for why there's a, suddenly a talking dog and everyone's fine with that. It's like, oh you talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, they kind of know that he's an experiment. Um, in terms of influences, the the whole game structure is very much Yakuza. Apart from Yakuza, has never had that much padding before. It, it was always fun. But um, I was going to mention with in terms of cast and, and uh, sequel stuff, and are we excited and things like that? Um, Josh, do you feel like 
because one of the biggest questions I had when I was reviewing it was would someone still get it in terms of why Aerith is a huge deal or Tifa is a big deal and in terms of like you know why you like you said that you kind of fell in love with them but like you get them as because one of the problems that me and Benji also had is that we kind of felt like they were re- reduced to just sort of glorified waifus they're just there for cloud they're thirsty for cloud 24 7 and elements of that are in the original but um to us when we first went through I don't want to speak for Benji like too much but we mentioned this to ourselves um you know it kind of felt like all these close ups of their faces, all this twee sort of over the top energetic charismatic approach to Cloud and he's just fobbing them off left, right and centre. He kind of comes across like a bit of a like a <laughs> closed off a-hole for the first time Actually, through to me. On that point, I've been because mm-hmm. I said I've been replaying the original game and it takes it doesn't take long, but it takes a little longer Aerith to and to discover that there's more to Cloud than the exterior right. suggests. And she even suggests she 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 says in one of famous sequences in the game that she wants to know the real him. Mm-hmm. But at this point in the game, she already seems to have formed this, this like unbreakable bond with him, and wants and wants to, you know, as the she's the on. original her from the first yeah. game. <laughs> all the all the other characters as well for some reason. <laughs> I know, but that's the thing. So yeah, Josh, did you kind of you said that you fell in love with him and stuff? But it, like, how did you come down on like the general sort of I don't know? I guess like relationships between the party and like, did it feel like they were just playing on that established um, connection that they already had from the original game or the fandom had, or did it feel like it was grown from the ground up? A bit of both, especially with Aerith, like you said. Um, I do think there is an element, like like you said, of her being at least knowledgeable about what happens in the original game and already kind of having a connection with Cloud that he doesn't necessarily know about because those parts mm. are a touch awkward. So there is definitely some of that, but I think even on their own terms, they do a pretty good job with it. Uh, I was won over by all of them, and I thought all of the relationships felt quite you know real and earned towards the end. Like I thought I would get really annoyed with Cloud being this kind of closed-off asshole for most of the game because i know from speaking to you guys that's not really how he is in the original but i thought that was one of the few things one of the few arcs that kind of felt finished towards the end of the game and if there is mm. a through line in it i do think it's cloud going from this kind of shut off mercenary type to having this bunch of friends you know i loved i lived for the moments when you're with Aerith and you're going through a bunch of monsters and she's trying to high five yeah then cloud's not going to high five and the the pit in my stomach when he went to do it and she yeah. didn't do it i was like no <laughs> the fact that See, it made me feel that way i was like that's that's a cool little moment and i'm pleased they fleshed those ideas out that was the bit in that exact that collapsed highway is absolute dreck anyway but that bit when you have to do the high fives I because it would have been so many hours in I was like how many times are they going to play the card where someone is energetic and charismatic towards him and he fobs them off directly to their face that actually really annoyed me but then they kind of brought it back with the really slow high five and I was like okay that's kind of cool but I just I don't know for that high five scene in particular I was like Cloud's not actually like a rude a-hole he just thinks he's supposed to be a cold mercenary there's like it's a fine line but I always thought it came across better in the original that he's like playing the part of this you know, like super cool mercenary and he's like he flips into the train when they do the first mission and stuff like that whereas like in the remake i was just like you just you're a complete dick <laughs> I, I really do think not it like comes him. across is like him playing a part for a lot of it i think mm. the flashbacks to him as a kid help because he almost does feel like a kid wearing his dad's clothes you know what i mean like and i think that's quite intentional to have him think that he needs to be emotionally unavailable or emotionally closed off because you know that's the way he doesn't get hurt and then mm. kind of see him see that crack but him trying to keep the facade up for quite a while i i do think they did quite well mm-hmm. i mean the, the the writing in general has been praised like across the board i didn't find that and benji and you were the same when we like, both went through it we were like oh my god the the script seems worse is that something you'd still think after finishing it 
Uh, I think I, I would, yeah. I thought it was a little bit hyperbolic at times. It was not subtle enough for my liking. There's just some <laughs> areas where characters aren't necessarily as human as they should be. You know, mm-hmm. like after big, huge emotional events that would would have very like significant impact on on your psyche and on your feelings, and then we just sort of brush them off within a couple of minutes and say, "Oh, that's sad. Okay, let's move on." Like this, this was, and everybody's really concerned about the plot all the time. And I think the times when the writing's strong is when they, when they are doing the human interactions when Barrett and Cloud are sort of having a little back and forth when you're going on the missions, and mm-hmm. some of the stuff with Aerith in house, and I think the stuff with Elmira as well is very strong. But a lot of mm-hmm. that was taken directly from the original game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the whole, yeah, I think it could have been, I don't know, just a lot tighter. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it is another thing that comes from just like it's it is strange because like in terms of like favorite party loadouts and favorite characters and stuff. For the vast majority of the game, you're given a specific loadout of characters, and you have to you're, you're either Cloud and Aerith or you're Cloud Tifa and Barrett. For the vast majority, it's only when you do the optional VR stuff that you can actually pick a party, um, and that obviously comes from segmenting Midgar overall in terms of just those characters are only with the, each other and it's it's for me there's so much reduced party banter like I remember thinking that it really came into its own in like chapter 14 but at that point you're like 18 hours in uh in terms of like you know multiple characters bouncing off each other I do <laughs> ask, look very um, confused. I'm very confused because especially towards the end when the I'm essentially on the big mission together and the game kept contriving reasons to split them up into groups of two or three. Like yeah. there was a part where I, there's like three of them and Bard's just off pissing about with like Red 13 <laughs> for no reason. I'm like, why? What stops them from putting all those characters together? I didn't under, quite understand that. I didn't know whether that's because I, they I, that way in the original or... No, no, yeah. I, think, I think it's an intentional design choice to try and force you into different, uh, uh, different configurations of the characters. So it offers a different tactical challenge. Mm-hmm. I think that was purely the reason. Yeah, yeah. they just, um, they just for me, it's that that group banter is the, one of the reasons I adore Final Fantasy VII, the original one. It's just there is that group chemistry. Like each character is so unique, and they they have so much to bounce off each other with. And um, so I kind of miss that. Um, it is strange because um, overall, when we talk about the highs and lows of the game overall, Josh, you loved the most. I think the middle chunk um, with Aerith, when things sort of calmed down, it was more of a character piece. Um, yeah. And you weren't that massive on the intro and the outro. Um, whereas that's the complete opposite for me. I thought the middle was a huge drag, and I adored the intro and the outro well it, it yeah it's it's strange i thought from a gameplay perspective um like the the last 10 hours or so were, were such we were so weirdly placed and was such mm. a slog that it kind of ruined a lot of the love that i had for it in the middle section i do think the middle section is the strongest around the uh the wall market stuff but i would be lying if i didn't say like the ambitions of the ending didn't bring it back a little bit when it first kicked off i was i was a bit frustrated with the gameplay in the, mm. in the story itself kind of like threw me in without explaining too much, which was kind of left me without a paddle in a way. Whereas the end, I really enjoyed where the story was going, even if I am annoyed that I didn't wrap much up. But that was sort of contrasted with the f- most frustrating um, gameplay sections of the whole thing in, in my <laughs> eyes, which does, mm. it does like frustrate, frustrate you quite a lot. Like for me, this game could have happily been 20 hours you know what i mean like you could have cut a lot of the padding out and not lost anything because the story Mm -hmm. stuff is so good and it's not like the parts where you're slowly walking around towns with erythar the problem to me it is just those elongated sections where you're looking for key cards or you're having to go through three different rooms to unlock a door it's it feels archaic and like it's wasting your time which is Mm -hmm. the worst part it is archaic but it's also it points to me like a a degree of fear about the fandom on square enix part which is Mm. why Felt like we couldn't confidently release a very, very, very good 20-hour game. We have to release 
a very good 20-hour game wrapped up in a quite boring 30-hour game. It's mm-hmm. also a reason to change the plot instead of just going ahead and doing it. You know what I mean? It's like they're so... I understand, I understand why I'd be afraid of backlash given how long the game's been in development mm-hmm. and given people are expecting more than a 20-hour game after six years. That's been billed as Final Fantasy annoy that it's been split into parts and you know, you're effectively getting four hours of the original. But it would be longer if it had just, you know, been very a lot braver, perhaps. And like you said, cut out those things and just did what mm-hmm. we wanted from without about coming up with a, a contrivance for it. Mm-hmm. They did discuss that stuff tons as well in terms of like, don't worry, it's going to be a proper, a, a quote-unquote proper RGRPG. Yeah, We're going to so make sure there's enough gameplay well, in there. One of the things in the advertising blurb is it's as long as a regular Final Fantasy. Well, it's right. not for a start. It's about half the size, but uh, mm-hmm. except Final Fantasy 15, which just falls off a cliff after 15 hours anyway. But you know, it, it's not, length isn't better, is it? It's not stronger for it. No, I think, it, and that's the thing, if they'd made it more focused, I don't know whether that would have exacerbated all the problems of like, okay, so where's part two? Like, I don't know whether you would have been left I hanging in more of a negative. Is that it? And, then that's, and that's obviously the problem had, so it's difficult. I think maybe we've got the balance slightly wrong. It's strange because having now gone through hard and got the platinum and, and literally my hour count is 98 at this point, which is ludicrous. Like mo- most of that is because I've never done a platinum before. Uh, I've just never done one and I've never made a, a plan to get one. So I was rerunning stuff over and over and over again. Um, having now done that though, like obviously I've got my fill of, of it um, and I've managed to get that much time out of it. But my initial finish time was 30 hours. I don't know what it was for you guys. That's about 31, yeah. Uh, I didn't feel like me. Yeah. Okay, because like Final Fantasy VII, the original one, uh, I clocked in, I think, well, I don't know how many hours it was the first time, but when I replayed it last year, it was about 35. Um, so it's it, it matches up, but it's not the same. If you did everything in Final Fantasy VII in terms of, you know, uh, Master Summon Materia and Knights of the Round and Golden Chocobos and stuff, you'd, you'd be nearer like 100 hours for the base game if it's just seeing all those things once, as opposed to rerunning stuff to make up the runtime, which is like a, I mean, I guess a meaningful difference because that's... It, it, it is meaningful as well because... Final Fantasy VII, the original, you finish it after 30 hours, 35, as you say. Mm-hmm. If you do all the additional stuff, it isn't just replaying the game again, but harder. It is actually oh, yeah. 30 hours of meaningful content mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, which I guess might be something that they'll do in the next one. Um, it's just like you said, it's maybe the point, like the um, the result of like slightly troubled development or like, mixed expectations or even things like Tetsuya Nomura not realizing he's the director until he sees the trailer for it in his own office. <laughs> uh, stuff like that that point to them sort of stitching the parachute as they on the way down kind of thing um but yeah we might as well end on some quick um sequel stuff what do you guys want to see from the next one is it story-based stuff is it gameplay-based stuff well, what do you, want to you know it's in, josh mentioned that about he's frustrated with red 13 not being explored in any particular detail now you and i know what's going to happen with him and and, and oh, some God, of the yeah. story and i haven't replayed it again recently some of it's quite naff uh what? yeah no i mean just just his granddad is inexplicable is father there's a very 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 melodramatic sequence involving that so i think we've got a chance now to get rid of some of that awful stuff and, oh, and- man. You, you said this before we started recording that you're going back through it at the minute and you're not loving it as much i went through it last year and it completely held up i still adore it i that whole thing at cosmo canyon with red is one of my favorite parts in the whole game the, dun- um, the is- dungeon that precedes it i have to say is very uninspiring so oh man problem- I, I, <laughs> I always thought it was really hard back in the day but then i it, kind of bruised it the, um, the other, there's one character, I mean, it's three main characters Josh doesn't, hasn't even met yet. There's one who's going to get a complete overhaul, I can guarantee. Who? <laughs> uh, Sid. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they need to fix his dialogue considerably. Yeah, he's quite, he's, he's problematic, let's say. Um, Just a full-on abuser, to be honest. It's not very good. I also think, 
I don't think it's going to be linear. I think it's going to be uh, sort of vignettes that you can visit in any order. I I think they'll do a like World of Final Fantasy or Kingdom Hearts three style overworld where you've got yeah. um, small animated versions of cities and you're flying to them and and then do do the world map that way. I think it's the only way you can really do a, an entire world map. Because, um, if, because you think, if you think about what immediately follows when you leave Midgar, it's the sense of being out in the world on your own and going to mm. discover as you're chasing Sephiroth. Well, you already Sephiroth's already been up front. You've beat him now. Uh, yeah, they can't do the beat with the, the Midgar Zolom because that's meaningless. The whole Mithril mines will be meaningless. But yeah, even I guess Janon is a huge set piece, so that'll be that'll be the first part of call, I would imagine. Immediately have I, a game. I honestly think they'll open it in flashback. I think you'll get the Cloud Sephiroth flashback because everyone like the likes of Josh are like, Who the hell is this guy? What the hell's going on? I think you answer that immediately by doing the flashback. The whole thing in calm, do you think that'll be Yeah. Uh, I, well, I think you do that and then you like come out of that flashback and the whole team's just resting in calm and then say, like, Okay, we need to crack on. Um, see, oh, see yeah. I mentioned earlier how this feels like a mishmash of different games. Did you always think Calm felt like it was just took out of a completely different JRPG and just like slapped? Oh, well, yeah, it's but that's because like, it's such a contrast to Midgar. Like you've got this little homely town. But it's only about fifty yards away from Midgar. So <laughs> and I don't know. I I like that it does feel literally it is its name. And after you've just finished Midgar, it's the best place to just chill for a bit and actually relax. Um, but yeah, Josh, as a as a newcomer to the whole thing, what do you want from the sequel? Do you want story details or gameplay? Um, I, I want them to change the gameplay quite considerably. I don't know whether they if, either make it not not the gameplay itself, the level design, let's mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. and then the pacing. I want them to fix that. Either make it more linear and don't put all the padding in, or make it kind of you know bigger and open world. And if that if it if it takes a bit longer to come out, then it takes a bit longer to come out. But as as long <laughs> as we fulfil the promise of this ending, I will be totally fine with it. Because at the moment, I like I said, I love it conceptually. I love the doors it opens, and I love what they can now do to Final Fantasy VII the original. Because I will play the original before I get to part. You two. won't. I will, I will. It's made me interested in it. And, if wanna, and going forward, I want to know what they change more in depth. But mm-hmm. if if they don't deliver those, if they don't deliver any kind of satisfying conclusions to any of the threads that they brought up here, and they are still stringing us along a little bit, I will be, I will be disappointed if if the grandiosity of the finale suddenly gets very small and meaningless. I think that um, based on that idea of replaying the original after you've played the remake or, or, or beforehand or whatever, um, just because of how crazy this thing's new ending is, it, it still resets everybody and makes everybody not know what's coming next, which I still think is it's the best card it plays. What absolutely wouldn't have been the case had they just went with a one for one remake is um, mm. it, it's no longer a spoiler to play the original. Now what you're doing is you're exactly. trying to draw the comparisons and mm-hmm. see where things are deviated, and that's really interesting. Uh, just do you think maybe that to shot the water a little bit early on some things in this first part? Like by the end, you had up the most powerful magic spells. You didn't have well, your face separate off. You had one winged angel. You mm-hmm. had, you know, in, I know it's only they are, but you're still fighting like Bearmut and things like that. Where did it go from here? Are we going to have to reset all the characters back to a base? I don't know how the hell they address the leveling problem because I'm level 50 across the board and everyone's on 9999 health. I think so it's, it's going to be a hard reset like in Xenosaga mm. Part 2, for example. They can still have to. They need to give you something to work towards. There are obviously like way more um, complex material systems to bring in. Um, stuff that you I you, you don't realize how much you need specific um, chained material setups until you play on hard where your like, MP recovery isn't a thing and you don't get to use items. So you have to use prayer and HP recovery and MP recovery. Yeah, so the game, the game gives you a lot of material. Some of it mm. like 
level material that would be quite useful, but you're still getting early level weapons that don't necessarily have the slots to accommodate. Like, you can unlock, unlock them though. Well, I suppose, but in the actual, like, just in the in the, in the course of the, the main game itself. Mm-hmm. So you end up with a lot, you don't really get a lot of opportunity to use material to its fullest, I found. That, um, that's true uh, for a normal playthrough. I That's why I loved going back through it on hard. It's it's strange because I, I I still can't tell if it's a positive or a negative. Personally, I think it's positive that if you, you know, explore more of the game, you play it again on hard, you discover this whole other depth of the combat that relies yeah, on that. Yeah, see, that sounds like that to me, and, and that's where the game would naturally go from this point forth, but only mm. if it can somehow carry over what you've got from this game into the next, which I just don't feel is possible. Oh, they have to do some sort of save transfer thing, but I, yeah. Do you think it'll, be, it'll probably be cross-platform as well, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah well, I guess they... In fact, I can't even <laughs> imagine it being on the PS4. That'd be really. Weird. I guess they they know that the um, PS5 is backwards compatible anyway, so I guess you just release. So effectively release a PS4 game on the PS5. Yeah, and it just auto upreses <laughs> on PS5. I don't know. They're in a hell. The, the whole thing's this weirdest position thing, and they're they're so much aware of it. Like I mean, Aerith talks about boundless, terrifying freedom ahead of her, and at the very end, it says the unknown journey continues. It's never been referred to as the unknown journey before, unless I'm missing something. Um, and it just feels like they're just going like, we don't know. We're doing what we can. Please come with us. So just on Aerith, by the way, is that, the, and it, it does touch upon this when Elmer is telling the story, is that mm-hmm. she did have visions of the future originally. Yes. That is not necessarily a new thing. So it's possible that she had those visions before and it might still not be averted, the fate everybody's expecting. But this yeah. is a way to give people, like because we know for 23 years, one of the biggest <laughs> like uh, video game urban legends is, can you revive Aerith? How yes. do you do it? Everybody's wanted to, everybody's tried. And now it's mm-hmm. given people, that in this version maybe you can but maybe well, you that's can. that's yeah that's the stuff that i think directly like plays into all the fan theories and the reasons that they're teasing you with these particular scenes and they're setting that stuff up um and literally i mean sephiroth says you have seven seconds until the end seven seconds is the window that sephiroth kills someone in the first game and it just seems like that's what they're directly addressing that like he's fully aware of everything he's done in the past um but yeah you can um, let us know what you think down in the comments below for the video version come find us on uh, twitter to leave questions on the hashtag wcg and we can carry forward with this conversation we might do a follow-up and uh, we might do more predictions and bits and bobs because clearly there's an absolute ton to talk about um but for now this has been the what culture gaming podcast i've been your host scott tilford joined by josh brown goodbye and benjamin richardson thank you goodbye i'll catch you next time bye see ya What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.